Good morning. Good, good morning. Welcome to our Passion Week here at the Well Church. My name is Joshua Kale. I'm the lead pastor for those of you who may not know me. And we just wanted to say thank you guys for joining us this week. Those of you online, we appreciate you uh, joining us as we begin to dive into the road uh, to resurrection. And today we're actually going to be looking at a passage of scripture where Jesus is on his way uh, back into Jerusalem. It's at the end of his ministry. And um, he is about to give us a few things that we need to learn to prepare ourselves for Good Friday as well as for Easter. And so this morning, I'm going to ask if you would please turn with me in your Bibles or turn your Bibles on and go with me to the book of Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21. Most of us... um, would love when we go to certain places uh, to have a warm welcome, a warm welcome. Would you guys agree with that? And when I go somewhere, I want to have a warm welcome, whether it's to a restaurant or to someone's house or to a hotel or you guys would agree with that? All three of you? Great. (laughs) Several years ago, I had the opportunity to go to a conference in Atlanta, Georgia, and a buddy of mine um, and I, uh, we went and We were living in Florida at the time, and so we had decided that we're going to drive, and so we would have time to talk on the way there, have time to discuss on the way back after this conference. But I was going for ministry purposes with the intent of of being refreshed and have a little bit of a reprieve from ministry, and uh, we went, and while we were at this conference, uh, multiple things occurred. The very first thing that occurred uh, is when we showed up to the conference they had people lined up all across the parking lot that were staff for that conference. And they had people coming and greeting you at your door when you would get out. Like, at first I was scared because I had never been in this part of Atlanta before. And I honestly thought we were going to get robbed. Because here comes this guy running across the parking lot to us. We opened the door and he was there to greet us. He's giving us high fives. He's like, we are so glad that you're here. And I I was like a little overwhelmed at first. I was like, what's going on? Why did I sign up for this? But it made me feel special. Like he was there to greet me. Well, then we go another maybe 30 or 40 yards and there's another person. And they're running up and they're giving us high fives and they're talking uh, to us saying, hey, we are so glad that you guys are here with us. I'm like, this is just absolutely crazy. And it happened again and it happened again. And I was like, what is going on? These people know how to do customer service and guest service. Like, it was fantastic. Well, everywhere that we went while we were there, they had people stationed at local restaurants and the hotels. And so every time we would walk into the main hotel, they had people from our conference there to greet us. And it was the most warm welcome I'd ever received in a place before in my life. They had no idea what my name was, but they were so glad to see me. Now, I know it was a part of their job, but don't ruin my story. (laughs) As I reflect upon that warm welcome that I received, I come back to this passage of Scripture, and I continue to come back to this passage. As we are going to see here in just a moment, that Jesus is making his way into Jerusalem, and he receives a welcome like no other welcome. Like no other welcome. So if you would pick up with me now in verse number 1 of chapter 21. And it says, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, 
when Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied in a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Verse 6, the disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. And they brought the donkey and the colt, and they put on uh, them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks onto the road, meaning they, they removed their outer jackets and they laid them down on the road in front of Jesus. And it says, and others cut branches from the trees, which would be palm branches, and spread them on the roads. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David, just like we were seeing. Hosanna, Hosanna. That, that word Hosanna comes from the Greek word meaning to save or savior. And they were saying it to God, like this is our savior, he's coming. Hosanna to the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. Verse 10, and when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. This is our text today. Let's pray. God, we come before you right now, Lord, and we ask that you would prepare our hearts as we begin to look at this road to resurrection and the people that were encountered here. God, we ask that we would not put on the lens of, oh, this is the same Palm Sunday service every single year. God, we pray that we would, we would hear from you this morning, that we would not stiff arm the Holy Spirit's work, that we would be ready to receive something fresh and new from your word. In Jesus' name, I pray, amen and amen. Jesus received a welcome like no other one that he had never experienced in any place that he went. Though crowds followed him, he never experienced this specific type of welcome. But the welcome here is going to be short-lived. There are voices in this moment that are singing, Hosanna, Savior, please save us. And in just a few moments, they're going to be shouting, crucify. The question before us, though, this morning is why... Did the welcome change? Why did the welcome change? How was it that thousands of people gathered to worship and to welcome him and they could quickly turn to hatred and disdain towards Christ? How? Why? We immerse ourselves here into this passage of scripture. Just these first 11 verses of this chapter, we quickly see a euphoric scene. People are gathered. They're removing their coats to place them before Jesus as a sign of respect, sign of honor. They placed palm branches or palm fronds onto the ground, which were a sign of victory and a sign of peace. And they're saying that this is the guy who's coming to rescue and save us. This is the picture that we have before us. In this moment, it's almost as if Jesus was popular, almost as if he was famous as he was entering. But the first thing I want us to see this morning 
is that Jesus did not come to be popular. Jesus came to rescue people. Jesus came to rescue people. He did not come to be popular. I mean, everywhere that Jesus went, crowds showed up. Why? Because Jesus said and did things that people could not believe and made people think. Jesus performed miracles, many of which happened in the context of food. Any food lovers in here? Could you imagine being in the crowd when Jesus turned some loaves and fishes into enough to feed every single person? How crazy would that be? How many of you like to go to buffets? Any bu- well, I know with COVID, but pre-COVID buffet eaters? Yeah, yeah. How many of you like go to the place that the sign says all you can eat? Right? Imagine, imagine witnessing a miracle of all you can eat with Jesus. All right? Jesus performed crazy miracles that people had never seen. And Jesus also cared for the people that nobody really cared for. It was different. This Jesus. Lots of people really like Jesus at this point. And so this welcome that we see here is what we should expect. But it's short-lived. It's short-lived. And so it is in the lives of many people today. Many people today will pack out churches over the weeks of Palm Sunday and Easter And they will begin to worship him. And they will begin to pray again. But then in just a few short weeks or months, he's completely an unwanted guest. Completely. And that's the sad reality that we have in churches today. But that's just like the crowd in our story, is it not? They welcomed him for a short time and then they rejected him. Do you know the crowd realized that Jesus was not coming to be a political savior? And because of that, because he came to save people's souls, they rejected him. And I'm going to take a a, a little pause here for just a moment. And I need you guys to understand something with me. People reject pastors. People reject churches. People reject Christianity because the pastors don't stand up and politicize the Bible. And I want you to know right now, my calling in life is not to come up and be the church politician. My calling is to bring forth and herald God's truth. So do not, I'm telling you now, do not come and ask me to preach on who I'm going to vote for. Ever. I will teach and preach the very truth that is placed in this book because this is what God has called me to do. Truth, people, truth. People rejected the Messiah because he did not come to be a spiritual, or he came to be a spiritual leader and and the one who brought peace, not the one who was going to save them from Rome. That, That was Jesus. They rejected the very fact that he wanted to save people's souls. He didn't come to be popular. He came to rescue people. He came to rescue people. And the next thing I need us to see is this, that the reality is is that in order for Christ to save us, we've got to surrender to him. And so the second thing is the rescue of Christ includes the rule and reign of Christ. The rescue of Christ includes the rule and reign. 
one of the oddest things about this passage is that Jesus did not ride into Jerusalem on a war horse, but on a humble beast. A humble beast. Did you know that in Jesus' day, conquering kings and victors would enter triumphantly on their war horse? It's talked about in Ephesians chapter 4. But the king would ride in on his war horse with his army behind him and their shining army or armor. And then behind them would be the defeated king if he was still living. And behind that defeated king would be the armies that would be left, the enemy armies that would be left. And they would parade through the city purposefully to show we were stronger than them. We were better than them in battle. And that, that, that was what would happen. That was a sign of strength and a sign of, of, of honor and valor in that time for kings. But that's not how Jesus came in. Jesus is like, I'm going to ride on the donkey, the lowest of beasts in that day, the animal that was used for the poor and the helpless. And that was Jesus. And he's like, I'm going to, to come in here. But Jesus was fulfilling the prophecy that was talked about in Zechariah chapter 9 in the Old Testament. I want to read it to you. Zechariah chapter 9 says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humbled and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. But then he also says that on that day the Lord... Their God will save them, will save them. How is it that Jesus was seen as a king and yet he came forward on a donkey and it says that he was going to save them? This Jesus, the one who came to rescue, the one who, who came not to be popular, this Jesus. In Bible times, if a dignitary or a ruler needed your properties or possessions they could just come and take it and they were allowed wouldn't that be awesome if it still worked that way today the pastor comes to you and like hey we need your car for jesus and you guys just gave it that, that that's exactly what jesus sent the disciples and he said go and get the colt the donkey they're there they're waiting and if anyone says anything to you at all say the lord needs it People don't mind in our culture helping out Jesus every now and again. They don't mind throwing a little bit of money in the offering bucket back there. They don't mind serving once or twice. You know, they really want Jesus on special occasions. They, they, they want him in a crisis. They want him in the hospital room. They want him when they take the important test. They want Jesus in the, the moment. But when it really comes down to it, the moment they realize that Jesus came to rule and reign in their life as a believer, they shut him out. They reject him, just like the crowd. He was placed aside, pushed out of the way. Jesus comes into our life humbly, but he calls us to a life of holiness. And the only way that we, we 
change through the process of sanctification and in humble service to others is when we allow Christ to rule and reign in our life. If we don't, then guess what? We are the antithesis of what being a follower of Christ is. The very opposite. Jesus came to rescue and to save and people still reject because they don't want to lay aside their own wants. That's sad, people. That is sad. And then we wonder why we're stuck in these vicious cycles of living like the devil. The moment that people figured out his rescue came with his rule and reign, rejection happened. And it's the same thing today. Jesus was rejected far more than he was ever received. And it's still that same way over 2,000 years later. But you want to know something that's very surprising to me in Scripture? There's a very special group of people that received Christ's message. A very special group. They received it, they embraced it, they walked in it. People who were imperfect, people who had problems, people who fought, people who argued, people who debated, people who doubted, people who denied. People just like you and I. Yet despite all of the issues, they still believed and they still received Christ. It was in the life of these people that we so often want to find ourselves. It was the disciples. You ever read the, the life of the disciples alongside of Jesus and you find yourself in one of them? I always wanted to say, like, I, I was Peter, James, or John. I was the one that's closest to Jesus, right? You guys all... You ever, you ever think that? Like, I'm the one that's closest to Jesus, that's me. And then most of the time it's like, I'm Thomas, the one who doubted. And then I'm like, no, I can't be. I, I gotta be the one that's closest to Jesus. And then, then you find out that you're the one that's Peter. That you can't keep your mouth shut. You say things before you think. You put your foot in your mouth more oftentimes than you want to. Anyone? But yet they still received Jesus. They still walked with Jesus. They were still used greatly by Jesus. Jesus meets with this ragtag band of people here. In chapter 26. And in the closing hours of his earthly life. He sets with these very people. To install. What we're going to call the Lord's Supper. The very institution. 
that was brought forth from the Old Testament. He's now saying, this is what this looks like. The people who follow me, the people who receive my message, the people who do not reject me, this is what I want from you. This is what I would like for you to do. And so Jesus is setting the tone in the stage for what is about to come. And so I want us to see here that Christ calls for remembrance. Christ calls for remembrance. We're going to start right at the top of, of chapter 26, and I'd like to read just a few verses to you. And it says, when Jesus had finished all these sayings, so Jesus had continued to do, to do miracles. He continued to, to do exactly what God called him to do. But when he had finished these things, and now that after two days the Passover is coming, and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified, the chief priests and the elders of the people gathered in the place of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas. And he plotted together in order to arrest Jesus by stealth and to kill him. But they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. And so you now see that the people have quickly turned against Jesus because everything that he said and did flew in the face of the religious people. Everything. The last hours of Jesus' life, he continued to do everything that he had done from the moment his ministry started. And yet now people are rejecting him. Now, and Jesus is like, the people who follow me are, to call, are called to remember. They're called to remember. Look at verse 26. He says, now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it. And he gave it to the disciples, and he said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink of it. All of you, for this is my blood of the covenant. Don't forget that word, covenant. Which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I will tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until the day, or that day, when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. In my Father's kingdom. What Jesus did here with these devoted followers was not an unfamiliar sense of tradition. The Jewish people celebrated Passover from Exodus, from the book of Exodus, and still to this day celebrate Passover. In that day, they saw the Lord in Exodus. They saw God bring them out of bondage and captivity of over 400 years. But before that happened, something occurred one of the final plagues that happened in Egypt was the first Passover. The Israelites were commanded by God to kill a lamb, the best lamb, the firstborn lamb. And they were to take the blood of that animal and they were to place it over their doorposts. It was a sign that they had submitted and surrendered to God. And when the death angel would come into Egypt, he would see the blood over the doorpost and he would pass over them, which is where Passover comes from. It was a sign that I have, I have listened and heard from the Lord and I have followed him. There was a lordship over my life. 
and I will do as he commands. Do you know that it was shortly after that Passover that they left from Egypt and Moses was summoned to a mountain where he encountered God and God gave him ten special instructions. They were to be what the Israelites lived their life by and it was a symbol of my obedience to the Lord and that would be the Ten Commandments. But because of sin, because of sin, they were unable to follow those commandments the way that God had laid them out. And so starting from the book of Exodus until the time of Jesus Christ, you see a vicious cycle in the Israelites. It starts like this. We're on our knees before the Lord. We're worshiping. God is everything to us. We're going to follow him. We're going to do everything that he commands. Sin enters. I'm going to reject God. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to live my life. We're going to continue to worship pagan idols. We're going to continue to, to, to be a part of immorality at the very core of who they were. We're going to continue to do these things. You even get to the point in the book of Judges where you see people slaying their own children for a false god. That was the Israelites. They literally slayed their kids and threw them over a cliff. Because of sin. And that's the vicious cycle. Worship God, sin, repent. Worship God, sin, repent. That's the whole, go, go back and read the entirety of the Old Testament. That's exactly what it is. They couldn't live. They didn't want Christ to rule and reign in their heart. That was, that was not what they wanted. But Jesus is calling those, those who want to follow to remember. There is a brook, a, a, a creek is what we call it. There is a brook called Kedron that runs alongside of the Jewish temple in Jerusalem. They say that every year at Passover, over 200,000 lambs were slaughtered for the sins of others, for the sins of ourself, for Passover. And because of those 200,000 lambs, that brook would turn blood red because of those sacrifices. But then Christ came. It was, it was foretold. Zechariah told us just there. It was said again in the passage. Christ would come. Christ would come as the final lamb. That's why he's called the lamb of God. The one who would live a, a sinless life. And though he would be rejected and rejected and rejected, he still does the unthinkable. He dies on the cross to restore relationships with God that had been ruined by sin. And this time it would be different. This time when Jesus would come, 
and he would die. Look back with me now to verse number 28 of chapter 26. He said, for this is my body of what? The what? Covenant. Covenant. For this is my blood of the covenant. On the day that Christ hung on the cross and shed his blood for the last time, there would be no more need to slay animals for the remission of sin. None. Jesus became our sacrifice in that moment. And this is what he's preparing his disciples for, is that very thing, sacrifice. He's saying, I'm going to the cross. And because of that, if you want to follow me, you need to go back and remember why I did this. We need to speak the gospel to ourselves every single day. And you cannot take the gospel without the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The gospel. The very reason why. In the New Testament, 1 Peter 2.24 says that he himself bore our sins in his body on that tree that we might die to sin and live for what? What is that next word on the screen? I'm sorry? Righteousness. By his wounds, we have been healed. What about this one? Hebrews 10 says that by that, we will have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifice, which can never take away sins. But, but, when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sin, what happened? It says he sat down at the right hand of the Father saying there is no more need for you to bring animals to sacrifice them. Listen, imagine if we still sacrificed animals today, all right? Some of you would be walking in with turtle doves. Others of you would be walking in with multiple oxen. But imagine, imagine the shame in walking into this building with animals to be slain in front. We don't have to do that anymore because Christ came to die for our sins. That is why we celebrate Palm Sunday. That is why we celebrate Easter. That is why we gather in this church week in and week out so that we can go back and remember the truth. That's why we're here. God's wrath was satisfied. That's why Jesus sat down. His payment for sins was made and forgiveness was able to be granted to those who believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's why Ephesians 1 tells us that in him, speaking of Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. According to what? The riches of his grace. Not mine. You don't want me to be God. You don't want your spouse to be God because there's probably more often times than not that they wouldn't want you here anymore. Why? Because we're sinners. But it's according to His grace. His. Christ has the right in this very moment to say, I paid for you. I took 
your place. Could you go ahead and pull that verse back up for me, Ephesians 1, 7? Thank you. I want you guys to see something very, very unique. The language that Paul uses here. It says, in him we have redemption. Do you know that word redemption is slave language? It is slave language. We were slaves to sin. We were slaves to sin. Our life was in bondage. And Christ went to the cross so that we could have redemption. Redemption because of the sacrifice. Christ is our redeemer. We were bought by the precious blood of Christ. So whatever bondage, whatever addiction, whatever broken heart, whatever blindness that you suffer from, salvation can save you. I'm going to say that again. Salvation can save you. People, wake up. Salvation can save you. Come on. That's something to get excited about. Jesus said this in Luke chapter 4, that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Why? Because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering the sight of the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Christ has the right to rule and reign in our hearts because he paid his sacrifice was our freedom. That he paid, so he has the right to rule and reign. The liberty that we have is to live a new life in Christ. So I have a question for you this morning. Why on earth would you want to go back and live your old self? Why? For those of you in this room who are believers, I want to read to you a verse one more time. Verse number 29 says, I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day. When I drink it new with you in my kingdom, in my Father's kingdom. Friends, that verse, Palm Sunday, Good Friday, Easter, are so important. The Lord's Supper was a reminder of his promise. The promise that Jesus would not only pay for our sins, but that he promised to come again. He promised to come again. This Friday night, we will not partake in a Passover meal per se, but we as a family will partake in communion. We will reflect and we will remember the payment of sin. Where Christ was beaten. Where he was bruised. 
where a crown of thorns was placed upon his head. Where for one moment of time, for the very first time, because of the weight of sin, he was separated from God. we look at Jesus' return to Jerusalem, we see the crowd's rejection. We see the plot to kill him. We see the installation of the Last Supper, communion. And yet we sit in churches today and we cannot embrace his rule and reign in our hearts. And if we can't embrace his rule and reign in our heart, then I can tell you right now that we are not looking at the hope that we have of his return. And that's the sad reality of where the church finds themselves today. That verse said, I will not drink of this vine until that day. He's speaking about coming back again until that day. We should live this life in excitement for what God has done for us. We should live this life wanting to share the good news with people who are lost, people who are hurting, people who are broken, people who have no hope. We should be excited about Christ's return for those of us who are already a part of that family. Excited. I'm not talking about walking into church with the fake facade. Everything's good. I'm at church. Yeah. No, I'm talking about being real and saying, but it does not matter where I am because Christ. It does not matter. It does not matter if my week has, has, has been a part of hell for the, for the last seven days. It does not matter. Why? Because Christ doesn't change. Because Christ already saved you if you're a believer. Because Christ paid for your sins. And because one day he's going to come back and we will know that we will have a place in paradise. That's why. And so for us as a believer in here this morning, we must embrace his rule and reign in our heart and we must embrace the fact that he's coming back and that's how we should live our life and so the questions that i leave us with this morning are these three these three questions and every person falls into these categories the first question is this have you been rescued by christ have you been rescued by Christ? You are the only one who can answer that question. I cannot answer it for you, and you don't want me to. Have you been rescued by Christ? If you're in here and you're like, I don't know what that means. I don't know what it means to be rescued by Christ. That means to admit that you are a sinner. That means I know that I am a sinner, and because of that, that means I am separated from God. I can't get to heaven. 
That means at the end of my life, if this building were to blow up right now, that means you would end up in hell. And I'm not trying to scare your way to heaven. I'm just telling you the reality of that's what it means to be separated from Christ. That means that you are eternally separated from his presence in a place of damnation, which is hell. That's what that is. And to be separated from God, you have to know I am a sinner. I can't save myself. That's why we're here. We're talking about the very thing that Jesus came to do, but to die on the cross for your sins. And you have to admit that I'm a sinner and I need you to come and save me so I am not separated from you in hell. I don't want that. But then it's, it's saying, God, I know that you sent your son to come here to die on the cross after he lived a sinless life. And when he was pierced for my sin, he took the weight upon him of my sin. And because he was buried and because he was resurrected three days later by the power of God, because of that, I can be saved if I believe in my heart and I confess with my mouth. That's exactly what Romans tells us. You cannot have salvation without the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Please know that. Jesus did not come and just die on the cross. If he did, all of this is for naught. But it didn't. There are actual accounts that Jesus was resurrected. Actual accounts. Jesus came. He lived a sinless life. He died for your sin and my sin. He was buried, but he overcame death. He overcame. And now he sits in heaven at the right hand of the Father. And because of that, we can be saved. If you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth, you shall be saved. So that's the first group. You don't have to wait. You don't have to wait to get cleaned up. You don't have to look a certain way. You don't have to dress a certain way. You can cry out to God right here in this room. And if, if you still are confused, please, I will stand right here for an hour or more if I have to. And I know there are other people in this building right now who would come and stand shoulder to shoulder with me to talk to you about your salvation. Yes, 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 yes. So the next group of you would be this. I'm a believer, but I have not submitted to the rule and reign of Christ. I don't know. Like I said, that's between you and God. But have you truly surrendered your life to Christ? Are you, are you running back to your old self? Are you running back to your old friends? Are you running back to your old TV shows and, and your old websites on your computer? Are you running back to those things? Are you still running to alcohol, to drugs, to self-pleasure? Are you running back to those things? Because those things in your life are not saying I'm, I'm surrendered to God's rule and reign. And we can help you walk through them. We can help you walk through them. And then the last one, the last one is this. I'm a believer. I believe I'm following the Lord rightly. So what about me, Pastor? Well, the Bible is very clear that we are to evangelize, but it's even more clear that we are to disciple. 
We are to make disciples. And so if you're in here and you're saying, what do I do? Disciple. Find somebody in this building or outside of this building who needs to be brought along in Christ. And start walking through this life with them. To follow Christ is to make disciples. To follow Christ is to make disciples. To invest in other people. Now I lied to you, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. There's a fourth question that just came to me. Listen, I ask for forgiveness. The fourth question is this. Are you going to come Friday? Are you going to come Friday and be a part as we reflect upon the cross and what Christ has done for us? Are we going to gather together here Friday for communion? Biblically, what we should be doing and reflecting? Only you can answer those questions. Only you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you right now, Lord, and we just thank you. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you, that you sent your son to die on the cross for us. And though we find ourselves in the crowd more often than not by the way that we reject, God, I ask that you would continue to do a work in our lives. Chisel out the bad so that we can become more like you, so that we can image you better to our families, to our friends, to our community. God, I pray for the groups of people in here this morning, that they would unashamedly walk with you. God, I pray for the upcoming services that we would take time to reflect upon what it meant for you to die on the cross for us, to go a little deeper into that, and that maybe looking at your word, that you would unveil new truths to us that have been there that we have been blinded to. God, I ask for you to continue to do what only you can do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.